The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. You're with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Last Saturday night after my radio show, I went out on the town as I want to do from time to time. I drove into Phoenix and went to this place called Dialogue. Some of my friends were going to see this amazing juggler. They were like, you gotta come, bro. You gotta come. I was a little tired, but I got myself there. Anyway, I was late, and when I got there... My next guest was uh, doing, not really juggling at all, but having a question-answer session that was uh, very philosophical about um, performance being an art, about practicing something for many, many hours, becoming an expert. Uh, And I knew I had missed something incredible. I did get to see a little bit, but not enough. And so I talked to him afterwards and said hey man will you come on my radio show cyril rabat was born and raised in paris france between the moulin rouge and granier opera house he left the city of lights at 20 years old to start his circus career busking in the streets of europe cyril moved in 2021 to las vegas nevada to join the show absinthe at caesar's palace where he performed his solo juggling act maurice lapierre for two years He is here with us now. He's a juggler, a circus performer uh, with a very interesting story, but he's also a motivational speaker and maybe a philosopher. Cyril, welcome to the show. What is it that you are, my friend? Thanks Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Uh, What I am, I think at the core, I'm a troubadour. I do Mm. love the tradition of being on the road. And you know that you've been on the road. You traveled uh performing and traveling and i've been touring all over the world for over 25 years and that lifestyle and discovering uh people and cultures and uh feeling that my home is the entire planet is really uh what i feel i am in my heart you know like because in the circus we travel with caravans so you travel with your home you wherever you go you have your bed and your house with you and but every time you open the front door of your house the scenery is different and i really fell in love with that so i think i heard i'm a troubadour just like a gypsy or is a true so a troubadour i always think of a troubadour as a musician primarily but is that does the is it a broader definition of the term troubadour it means somebody who travels a gypsy like you said yeah yeah for me it's like the freak shows that you have the tradition in america of the freak shows for me i'm french and i come from this french tradition and the troubadour is really like medieval and like the juggler the joker the like we were all part of that same clan of like being at the feet of the king and making fun of the king right like uh we're the only one able to actually op- oppose um uh the law and 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 power because at the time the king has the right to life and death over any of their subjects so the only one was the clown like the joker who could actually uh speak up and usually the joker was a really good juggler 
that's why like the root is the same joker juggler is the same thing so for me being a troubadour is part of this traveling circus that speak up to power by being more whimsical and imaginative and not being so drawn to like all the conflicts and those not seeing the world through the same lens basically and bringing a different lens so that's why i like being a speaker and an inspirational speaker because i want to share that lens to share that whimsical creative uh but it's also very simple and you know i'm a juggler so it's like i'm i'm, I'm not talking about I'm not like Nietzsche or some crazy thing. Like I, I just talk about basic principles linked to gravity and 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 simple basic stuff because that's what I deal with as a juggler. I I, I like gravity is my partner. I would say gravity is my lover. Uh, juggling is is really like a dance with gravity, and and it's not about defying gravity or like uh, winning over gravity. It's really about sharing and dancing and understanding those laws of nature so like there's a very deep sense of humanity and just being a human a simple human in a body and and doing that uh, practice day after day and i want to share that um to kind of like bring a breeze of fresh air in our crazy world is it is does it have to do with like sort of breaking apart people's um mental constructs i mean i'm now i'm looking at juggling in a deep way like just talking to you and thinking about it like is it about is it about sort of breaking people's mental constructs so you can sort of open their mind i mean what what do you think is the sort of deeper philosophical aspect of dancing with gravity yeah so when I perform in Cirque du Soleil or on the Strip in Vegas, I only have like five minutes. So I can, I have to go on stage and wow and do that job in just five minutes, which is very challenging. You know, it's like five minutes to like get an audience and, 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 and turn them on is, is, is pretty challenging. It's way easier for me to have like an hour to do that, for example. And that's where now I'm going more towards speaking because I'm, I have more time. But what I noticed is that being able to be very efficient and bring a world of imagination and of wow to the audience in a very short amount of time, it's a way to kind of like slap them out of their uh, daily routine. And suddenly they're like, what? okay, that's possible, that's happening. I didn't never saw anyone juggle like eight balls and, and doing crazy things like I do. So I can get them to uh, connect and uh, disconnect from their reality, like from their day to day, but also connect on a higher level. And what I love about being able to speak and have more time is that once this happened, then I can proceed to go into a different space where let's let's go deeper let's talk let's and i wouldn't say i'm trying to do anything to the audience i don't have any goal i just I, it, my aim is more to invite them into a space and and whether they want to come in or not is not my decision it's theirs so when i perform as a performer i believe that my 
my job is to open up a space where they can come in and share with me. And then I'm going to be leading the experience, but it's also up to the audience to come in. Like the audience has a job to do, which is pay attention and come in. And I don't feel my job is to force them to like, to, 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 to be forceful on that level because we're already attacked all all day long social media tv uh, everything is just bombarding us with things like i i feel like when are we actually simply invited into a space and that changes the tone because if i just open my arms like it sounds a little weird but like if i create a space where i let people come into that space and they willingly come in now we're having a shared experience on a much deeper level hmm so the juggling is almost like a trick of an invitation and i don't mean trick in a derogatory no, way. no you're right you're right but it's it, it it's interesting it's it's and the relationship between the joke joker and the juggler i never really thought about that before but it's interesting too i was thinking while you were talking that you could almost um do something like news segments where you speak on controversial things but the whole time you're doing it you're juggling and it would almost go back to that old world like you're before the king and you're allowed to say things that we aren't allowed to say because you're doing this fantastical dance in front of us. Yes, yes. In a way nowadays it got like broken down and you have stand-up comedians uh, with different styles and you have musicians and you have, uh, you know, like actors and, and, and circus performers. But I, there was a time where the Joker was doing everything. He, he, he was the musician, he was the juggler, he was the stand-up comedian, he, he was everything. And now we're like hyper-specialized in a way, and everything is so strong, everybody's so good at what they do that you kind of have to hyper-specialize if you want to make it, you know? Like, I had to really hyper-specialize, even in juggling. I, I, ju I can juggle everything, but my specialty is juggling balls. So even in juggling, I had to hyper specialize and, and be, because there's just too many people juggling 10 hours a day, becoming so good that if you want to compete or at least be seen on some level, you do have to uh, like hyper specialize in a way. But that's to the detriment, I feel, to this broader sense of like the joker that's why i studied a lot clowning actually I, I there's a lot of parallel in like the study and the acting of clowning with juggling um and, and how to be on stage and how to interact with the audience and how to listen and how to connect and basically a clown when the clown is on stage he's co-creating the uh the piece with the audience because depending on the audience reaction it's going to change the clown's direction and the clown's behavior and that's where my talk is actually matched on that principle that's why i i have anything i don't have anything planned when i do the talk i start with the people's questions so so there's only questions in my talk and even the juggling that i do is completely improvised I choose the songs the night before, so I don't have time to rehearse or even really know them. And then I throw them in and then they play randomly and, and I improvise on them. So 
everything is improvised to have this spirit of like the clown responding to the audience and having to be really here now present and i love that because you can't fake it if you don't know what's happening if i don't know what's happening as a performer i have to be 100 percent present I, I i can't just wing it and be like yeah i know what's coming up and then just you know that happens because when you do like 10 shows a week with Cirque du Soleil or anybody which means like 450 shows a year like this is a lot of shows and if it's the exact same show over and over again at one point it might be feeling like you're just going to like the factory and just doing the same mm -hmm. thing over and over again and uh, for me it's very important as a performer to keep it fresh and to keep it uh, to, to, to be on my toes all the time because then I'm present and I can connect to my audience when with the audience on a much different, uh, on a much deeper level. Presence is everything and it makes me think of what you do as a heavily spiritual thing. When you were talking just then, I had this vision that Ben Stiller needs to do a movie called The Juggler where he uh, acts opposite Will Ferrell and there's like a juggling competition between them and they have different specialties <laughs> and Will Ferrell does the bowling pins and, and Ben Stiller does the fire. Totally. I mean, totally. dude, that's a massive comedy waiting to happen. That would be so amazing on film. Uh, yeah. In fact, I, I shouldn't have let that idea out of the bag. <laughs> We, we should make that movie. That would be super funny. Um, but, but so one thing fascinating about your story is that there's the famous Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours to be a master at right. something. And, and I heard you talk about it, that you had actually spent 40,000 hours practicing yeah. juggling. And, and you also mentioned that, yeah, obviously you would have to, remain fully present while you're juggling. I mean, and, mm -hmm. and 40,000 hours practicing anything. What do you think, obviously that's outstanding and, and a very unusual accomplishment for any human being. What were your parents like? I mean, what led you to that pursuit and that much dedication, do you think? Were, were, was it a bad childhood or amazing childhood or what did your parents do? actually an amazing childhood i i i, I am so uh, lucky and grateful for the childhood i had my my father is uh, francois rabat and he's an absolute master maestro of the double bass uh so the standing double bass like the jazz type double bass and he plays with the bow and so he he, he was uh at the end of his career uh, working for the Opéra Garnier in Paris. That's why we lived right next to the Opera House because that's where he worked. And he had a solo career that's just outstanding. And the 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 one thing that I was raised into was seeing my father practicing his instrument hours on end every day. And literally every day. So there's pictures of me as a baby uh, taking my nap at the in, at my father's feet. He's playing the double bass and uh, double bass is a big instrument. So it, in, in effect, we have like an extra family member because anywhere we would travel, we would take a double bass. So traveling with a double bass is not a small feat, like putting on the top of your car, uh, traveling every time you take a plane, like it's literally like a coffin with like a 
an extra body member that's just coming with you everywhere you go and it had its challenges but what i noted what i learned and i didn't learn it consciously it was just ingrained in me is that whatever you love you just do it every day of your life and you don't give up you just keep going so i actually never had to think about that and that's why i think it's the best gift ever from my father and from my parents because obviously my mother helped create that environment like a sane environment for me because my father obviously is like highly dedicated like we're talking about i'm at forty thousand plus practice my dad started um, uh, playing the double bass at 13 years old and he's now 93 years old and still practicing so we're talking about like an 80 year old streak of like playing the double bass hours every day so I don't know is he at like a hundred two hundred thousand it's just impossible to calculate and what I've learned from him is that there's no ending you're, you're there's there's no there's no the top of the mountain is forever growing and the better you become the more in a way the horizon starts spreading in front of you and then you can keep going because what i'm doing i believe is art and i juggling is very interesting because it's very athletic so there, there's a high level of like athleticism and sports involved so i have to be in shape i'm, I'm doing my pilates i'm doing my darabine movement i'm doing a whole like two hours basically every day of training where i'm not juggling i'm I'm, I'm, I'm strengthening and, and stretching my body so I can juggle three, four hours a day. So total is like five, six hours every day of commitment to that craft. So there's a high level of physicality, but it's also art. Like all of that is to to at the service of the creativity around juggling and, and, and the art form, which is basically my father is a musician and he expresses himself through his music and i decided because uh also I, when i was born i quickly realized how just amazing my father was and i was like yeah i'm not sure i want to be a musician with the same last name than my father it seemed like too, too big of a of an ask you know and so i was like but i'm going to express myself through juggling and juggling for me is my tool of expression and i like what you said earlier well like you you said like juggling is nearly like an excuse to come on stage and share with the audience and you're absolutely right you're like you you nailed it it is an excuse but i want to be the best i can with that tool because that's how i express myself on stage so i want to master my instrument which is my body and my juggling balls to the highest of my abilities so then i'm free in this expression and i learned that from my father that's beautiful, man. That's that's really, really good. And I, I want to talk about the athleticism about it all too, because I, I noticed that you're you're quite fit. I'm a workout enthusiast myself, so I notice others who I, I'm sure <laughs> spend their time doing that. 
Uh, let yeah. me take a quick break, and we'll be right back after these words on TNT. TNT Radio's Kate Shimarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive, and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning. But what I cannot get my head around is the worst drug of all. They just let it on the market all the time. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like MSG, monosodium glutamate. And and I, if, I, I can say, you know, you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food. There's nothing to eat in there. I very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places. And if you go into the supermarket, there's only the first two aisles that have got real food. The rest, it, it's not food. And I see what people buy. I've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys, not them, don't get all excited, but I have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying and it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like and your teenagers' brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age. Kate Shimarani on TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. And we're back with master juggler, philosopher, artist, Cyril Rabat. I remember touring in the mid-90s and France was the country that embraced me the most. So I ended up hanging out in Paris quite a bit. And for some reason... The record company would always put me in a little seedy motel in Pigalle, right, right by the Moulin Rouge. And I remember, you know, it, back then there was no internet, really. Uh, and so when you went to a foreign country, it was actually foreign. You would turn on the crappy motel TV and there would be like four stations and they were all just speaking French. And also there was always like some kind of hardcore porn station. <laughs> Not one you would have to pay for. It was just on. <laughs> like very yeah. wild. And also, you know, Pigalle is famously the red light district. What was it like growing up there, man? Were you, uh, when it says you were, you know, basically right by the Moulin Rouge. Is that where you grew up in Pigalle? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I went to school there as a, as a kid, as a teenager. I, I remember that thought when I was like eight years old, probably. And um, I was going to a speech therapist because at the time, like I was like messing up some of the vowels and stuff. And uh, my speech therapist was on the Pigalle Boulevard in 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 one of like one of those buildings. So we had to walk through uh, the Pigalle Boulevard, which at the time, uh, as you said, like France is very you know open minded. So we had like posters and uh, posters of basically like women naked. Uh, uh, with maybe like a tiny pasty on, on, on their nipple or something, but oversized, like oversized. So they were like gigantic. 
And as a kid, I remember thinking to myself, oh, that's awesome. I, I must be having a special pass to come to that neighborhood because I have a speech therapist to go see. But clearly no kid is allowed in this neighborhood. Not realizing that, no, this is just the street. You could walk around here. But I felt so special because I was, I was, I, I, you know, I was like, uh, I had the, the permission somehow to come into that neighborhood because I was going to see my doctor. And it was just another world. I thought it was exciting because, you know, who doesn't yeah. like naked people hey listen so did i when i was in 20 something and and always like sort of isolated there wandering those streets i don't know was i tempted uh, here and there i guess so you, you know it, it was an interesting and and funny thing that back then it was great because yeah like i said when you went to a foreign country it was really foreign you know it was really something different and you you didn't just have your device like nowadays you go on tour and whatever your sort of entertainment schedule is at home, you have that exact same thing with you everywhere you go. And yeah. that's that's kind of a shame because it it doesn't force you to be that sort of stranger in a strange land. You always have that feeling of like, oh, everything's okay. I'm looking at the podcast I always look at. And then there's, of course, a Starbucks everywhere you go. But you were talking about the, the physicality of what you do and I and I know you also strip when you juggle sometimes what mm -hmm. is and you you spoke about doing Pilates and whatnot and a couple questions come to mind one of them is at what point will your ability start to fail you like your your um does do you have any fear along those lines and um yeah I guess I suppose I I want to know you know, beyond just a Pilates regime and a two hour workout schedule, um, I'm assuming there's a lot of meditation involved in that or sort of seeking an e uh, eternal and internal voice somehow to guide you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm actually not having fear around losing my abilities. I'm having I'm curious because clearly I discovered a long time ago that juggling is my uh, life's purpose. I'm, I'm, my life's purpose is to explore the art of juggling uh, primarily for myself. And that's where the meditation comes in because I now I'm at a level where when I juggle, it becomes a space of meditation in action. So I'm, I'm actively doing something. I might be juggling like seven balls, which is a very complex pattern. My body is dealing with 12 layers of very complex patterns to, to match together, to find the flow into part, to find the perfect click into that uh, chaos of balls. And yet I'm at a level where when it works and it doesn't work every day, of course, like it's, 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 it's a pursuit of like, it's a life pursuit. So, but when it does work, I have a feeling that it's happening beyond me. Like there's a part of me that's just watching it happen, even though it's highly skilled and technical and you have to be completely present. There's a part of me that's just watching it happen. And, and when I connect to that, I feel that I'm in a state of, 
meditation while doing a highly complex, nearly uh, unnatural action. And I say unnatural because juggling is perfectly symmetrical and the body is not designed to be perfectly symmetrical. We're not perfectly symmetrical. The right side of our bodies is different from the left side and uh, the brain, the our two sides of the brain are have like different control centers and 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 um the juggling is a pursuit of creating a exact perfect pattern sim perfectly symmetrical in front of you in the air and obviously that pattern is a reflection of my body so if my body's off uh is tilted in one side or i'm stronger on one side than the other it's going to impact my juggling pattern and it's going to throw off balance that's perfect symmetry so my, my pursuit in life is the pursuit of perfect symmetry even though i'm aware that my body is not symmetrical and was not designed to be symmetrical because if it was perfectly symmetrical we would break kind of like the the high high rise uh towers that uh architect build and they built into them a slight twist so that if there's like wind or a tornado or something they can bend gently because if they don't bend they're going to break and the body is designing that same idea uh you know so all of that to say i, I don't remember your question man i'm sorry i, I went on a tangent <laughs> i don't remember it either <laughs> <laughs> I started going down a rabbit hole about Bikram because I was thinking of sy symmetry in the left and the right, and that's super interesting. Um, because in Bikram, you know, it's the 26 and 2 poses, and there's lots of balancing ones on one leg and then the other leg, and you're, you know, holding those things. And of course, you notice that one leg is better than the other in terms of your balance. One, one side Absolutely. is... And, I, and actually, when we were in Phoenix and I met you, there was a guy right before I talked to you asking you just about that. And you were suggesting yes. to him, brush your teeth with your left hand or your, your non-dominant hand. And yeah. somehow that changes your thought patterns and stuff like that. And then I was thinking, yeah, Bikram, that challenge every morning you're doing that. And, and it's really good for your brain. Obviously, it's a physical practice, but it, you know that you're waking up your brain or you're like sort of, yeah, cultivating an awareness that you wouldn't otherwise do by challenging the sort of non-dominant side of yourself to become the dominant side. Absolutely. I found a hack, one of the only hack in juggling ever, because there's no hack in juggling. You just have to like put in the hours. And uh, But the one hack that I found is uh, if I juggle like a higher level, a higher number of balls, like five balls, six balls, seven balls, whatever, and then I um, uncovered in my body the uh, muscle pattern that uh, when you're like right-handed, let's say, if, if I'm right-handed, it means that my right uh, shoulder is going to be anchored in my body and is going to go through a diagonal to connect with my left glute, which is going to in turn connect to my right foot. And then there's a whole... <clears throat> Uh, there's a whole uh, 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 cascade of muscles that triggers 
to allow you to be right-handed and for example like throw a baseball from your right hand obviously your whole body is going to go through a motion that is one-sided but it's actually going in a diagonal through your body uh from the top to the the middle part of your body to the down of your body so what i'm learning and teaching myself is to flip that around so i'm literally teaching myself to become left-handed left hand dominant even though i'm not and i'm i'm studying the, all the muscle patterns in my body and to consciously flip that because the hack is if i'm juggling five balls and i want to have and a better endurance then I'm going to start juggling five ball in my mind, setting my body like I'm right-handed and my right hand is leading and my left hand is following. And once I'm tired, because I've been juggling five balls for like a minute or two, and then if I'm tired at that point, I'm going to switch in my brain, my dominant side, and I'm going to, because I know all those patterns in my body now, I'm going to go into, now I'm left-handed and my right hand is supporting my left hand. And then suddenly I have a whole, uh, I have a lot more endurance because I'm switching the internal muscle patterns and the muscles that were tired now are kind of taking a break, even though what I'm doing is symmetrical. So from the outside, you're not going to see anything changing, but from, from within, I'm kind of like switching from being right-handed to be left-handed and back and forth. And that in, that doubles my entrance. That kind of blew my that's mind crazy. the day I, I, that, I found that up. <laughs> that's mind-blowing. That reminds me of Wim Hof uh, because, you know, he cracked the code in terms of being able to internally sort of manage his his internal things that we can't fathom being able to manage. Like he famously got shot up with some kind of poison and it could teach his body how to deflect it or whatnot because he had so much sort of grasp on, in, in, on controlling internal aspects of, of his physiology that we, we didn't even think was possible. And so, yeah, I guess when you're practicing that for 40,000 hours, you must have an awareness of your muscles that we can't even fathom. Yeah. I mean, basically, I'm a master at the nervous system because the nervous system is, I, I, I we call it the nervous system, but I actually think the nervous system is an organ. But to the same level that your brain is an organ, your heart is an organ, your, our nervous system is an organ and it's the organ that connects your thoughts to your body and if you think and you want to do something a movement an action the one thing that allows you to do that is actually your nervous system so juggling is the mastery of the nervous system because i'm teaching my nervous system to do like a gazillion things all at once and actually i noticed recently i live in vegas so like sometimes i go uh, see shows and stuff and i was invited to go see a uh, um uh someone who who uh an hypnosis and uh i was selected to go on stage and with a guy with other people you know like to to try to get hypnosed and i realized that i couldn't get hypnosed because the the key to hypnose uh the hypnosis is to saturate your nervous system so at one point your nervous system is like okay offline 
and then you can you know give people like prompts to do things and they're just going to do it and, and 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 take it for what it is because the nervous system went into a mode of like overload and i'm like i can't get hypnotized hypnotized because i'm overloading my nervous system all the time that's what it is to be a juggler is to to do that so yeah, basically, I agree with you. It's like the practice of that. And so now I'm I'm not working anymore on like, okay, I want to juggle more balls. I want to juggle. I want to do tricks that are harder. I'm going deeper. I'm like, I'm going to just keep doing those same tricks. But now I want to go to a level where I'm, I'm controlling to a granular level so I can juggle like eight balls. But I'm thinking about my toes and how my toes are spreading on the floor and grasping the floor so I can gather the energy that I feel of my body and like the balance of my body digging into the ground and bringing that energy like where I can throw a ball with my hand but the movement starts in my toes and I can feel the entire pattern of, of muscles moving through my body to do that while doing a very complex pattern. And that's what's fun to me now. It's like you're disappearing into the practice. It's like you, you're sort of, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. All right, let me take a quick break. We'll be right back after these words on TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. And a shocking development that surprised no one. Hunter Biden failed to show up for his congressional deposition today. Moreover, California Representative Eric Swalliswell aided and abetted Hunter thumbing his nose at the Congress by working with Hunter's attorney so Hunter could avoid testifying. Will Hunter be held in contempt of Congress? Well, if so, so what? So was Eric Holder. Nothing was done. But you see, when Democrats are in charge, they hold somebody in contempt of Congress. Well, their door gets busted down. They get taken out at 5 a.m. with CNN there to broadcast the whole proceedings. The way Roger Stone, Steve Bannon, and Alex Jones were treated. Will Hunter be treated the same way? <laughs> you funny man. Of course he won't. But if there's any justice in the world, Santa won't be bringing Hunter another laptop this Christmas. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. The thing that drives me every day as a dad is him. Every day he's hungry for something. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. It's okay to make mistakes as long as it's coming from love then it kind of starts to work itself out. Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Back with Cyril Rabat. So you do this fantastic one ball juggling too. You're talking about the eight balls and the sort of nervous system, mastery of the nervous system and the nervous system is uh linking thoughts to the body i got so many questions for you man um one of them is your relationship with thoughts because I, I, that's something i think about a lot and mainly that thoughts are bad and i would just rather be present so I'm, i want to ask you about that but i also want to see some of that one ball juggling you do this like dance 
that you do with with the one ball right there, like the balancing for people watching yeah. on TV, on YouTube or Rumble. Uh, this is a, it's just fantastic what he can just even do with one ball and the thing. Um, how much of this sort of stuff, this this like practice uh, that you do, it, how much of it do you sort of dedicate to God? Does God factor into your relationship with this at all? Are you an atheist? I have no idea what your what your spiritual views are, but I, I do know a lot of artists. Uh, dedicate their work to God is is it an offering to God in any kind of way or is it does that not really factor into it and when you answer it not to be a show-off but maybe you can do the pink dance ball <laughs> pink dance ball too because I know you could talk and do that at the same time <laughs> yeah I can but uh you know it takes like a lot of of uh, oh. focus and, and okay well and, then you could just answer you don't have to no no, no. I, I I like your question um I do believe in God. I just feel that the term God has been kind of like um, taken hostage by religion because I'm not religious and, and uh, I wish we could all feel spiritual the way we want, basically. And so I'm, 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 I, I am spiritual in a sense that I do meditate every day to connect with myself and to connect with the higher spirit and, and higher, like the supreme being, which is like a term to define God. That's not, you know, that maybe is, is a broader definition, uh, than, than the term God. And, and although I do things for myself, and I do things for myself because I'm not sure God has the time to care about what I'm doing on earth. And it's like, we're, we're, we're so many. And I, I like uh, zooming out on my own life and having that broader spiritual um, consciousness. It's the same thing that astronauts, when they like go on, in space and they look back at earth and they're like oh whoa okay actually it's a little marble spinning in the infinity of space we're just nothing and i like that because um not that the ego is wrong because i think ego is important especially as an artist i think uh my ego defines who i am and makes me special so i want to give uh, space to my ego to be uh, so I can be different and I can be myself because uh, I always feel like I don't want to be competing with everyone else I just want to be me because I'm the best as, at being me nobody can be me better than me so therefore I'm winning if I'm being myself as an artist so that's where for me the ego is at the center of my being but it's only a small part of my being and I'm much so much more than that, but at the same time, in, in the reflection of the cosmos and the supreme being, I, I'm a a grain of sand that is completely irrelevant. And I feel like if we maybe all had both that balance of like yes, individuality and ego is important, but at the same time, nobody's anything. Like think about in ten thousand years, like. 
are we going to remember any of us like how we actually you know it's like do do we remember who's egyptian whoever ten thousand years ago like we we barely know anything and and i think it's healthy somehow because it kind of like brings me down to like eh, whatever i do it's like well in, in the grand scheme of thing like my voice and what i'm trying to do is pretty irrelevant and i like that idea because i'm a juggler and and by essence what i do is throwing a ball in the air and trying to catch it and it's like how fucking vain is that like what that's that you know like i'm not very being very productive but also what you know poets are not very productive in some sense and yet we need poetry we need poets and i really feel that juggling is at the crossroad of like poetry spirituality and at the same time it's athletic and very much in the body so there's this connection happening body mind spirit uh, yeah and do you really think you're insignificant because I mean, personally, I think we're all incredibly significant. But I mean, it, it, it maybe just in a way that our humanity can't comprehend. But I mean, obviously, maybe we are insignificant too. I I personally don't believe that. I don't. Life doesn't resonate to me that way. Either you know, our, we have this internal morality where we're, if we're letting ourselves down, we feel really bad. We feel bad when we're not living up to our potential. And I feel like that emotion comes from um, God or whatever you want to say that wants something more for us because when we are living uh, up to our potential, we're helping others and then that has a butterfly effect across all of humanity. And also with your juggling, you branched it into motivational or inspirational speaking. I mean, you're an inspirational speaker as well. So I know on some level you must feel a sort of calling to help your fellow man, which doesn't go in, which isn't in alignment with us being insignificant. Yeah, that's a good point, man. Uh, I do feel the desire to share, but I'm wondering, is the desire to share my juggling selfish in a sense that I could just be in a warehouse juggling for myself all day long and just be happy because that's what I love. What I love is the practice of juggling, the experience of juggling. And then on some level, I do need to make a living. So I need to make cash because we're living in a society where i can't just live from like fresh air and water and love and i have to make a living so i'm like okay look like, how can i make a living well it's always with sharing so performing for other people uh, being a speaker uh, teaching uh, i have a juggling school online where i love teaching uh anyone every level anyone wants to learn learn to juggle um, i love juggling so i want to share that love of juggling and i'm wondering if that sharing is selfish in a sense of like um because i get something out of it and when i teach i'm realizing that i'm not getting much money out of it because that's not the point of the school the point of the school is to really to share the art of juggling so like people pretty much pay whatever they want and and everybody's welcome and what I'm noticing is that I'm, 
I'm getting so much at seeing other people go through the steps of learning and having their brain make the steps of like all the patterns that you need to understand and then the the connection with your body and then the the and eye coordination mind body connection and and guiding them and everybody's different so that that's why my school is live like i'm, I'm not doing pre-recorded videos because there's no templates it has to be uh based on the person that's in front of me and everybody's different and everybody's learned differently and i'm getting a lot of like noticing that so maybe you're right M maybe i i want to help people and it is uh something greater than myself but i'm always a little bit suspicious at the mind and how the mind is very good at reframing anything to make it look like we're you know doing the right thing or whatever because i feel like sometimes when you don't live to your potential just to like bring in some a different perspective it might also be because other people's what what other people think of you and then we take so much in consideration how we're seen and what how other people think of us and like who we are and what we do and the judgment is way so much especially i feel like as an artist or i i think for any human being and you know like why why social media takes so much space in our lives if it was not related to like being seen and what other people think of us and for me i know that it's one of the biggest uh demons in my life and uh I do need to be seen as an artist because I need to showcase my art and be seen. And at the same time, I'm learning to not care about what people think of my art. And it's not that I don't care about my audience. Of course I care. But in a way, as long as people have a reaction to my art, that's where I'm happy. And the reaction can be, I hate what you're doing, but hate for me is better than not moving people at all and having someone being like, meh, and they're not even moved by it. So as long as I move people in one direction or another, I feel like as an artist, I do my job. I'm, yeah, I don't know I what's the roots of all that, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I... I can relate to it all. I, you know, I've gone down self-destructive paths. So I've gone to places where I couldn't create at all. And I was completely just in an addictive cycle. And you must have, uh, the shadow of your 40,000 hours must, must have its roots in addiction too, on some level. So I'm assuming 100%. anyway, and you, you could probably relate to that. You know, and so when I measure like all those concerns you speak of, like how much of this is just my ego, you know, like posting a new song on Instagram or whatever it may be, I I know personally, you know, and, and obviously it's a balance between spirit and ego, but I also know that just to get to the place where I'm open to share uh, I'm inspired to share. I'm already in a in a more elevated place than I would be if I was just spinning out in addiction. And, and, and in any event, um, 
thoughts to me are are usually the enemy or pretty much always the enemy it's always about being in the present in present moment it's always a practice of observation of thoughts and not identifying as my thoughts but rather identifying with presence because that to me that's where god is and so thoughts will always say something thoughts are a bully they're always going to say oh this is just your ego you just you know and on some level thoughts are smart you know or you could even call it demonic possession and and it's smart because it is playing off of it's two truths and a lie that's what it always is so it is saying truth to you amongst lies and that's how it it sort of shields itself from being found out but I mean, you have such an intense relationship with the uh, with your uh, nervous system and thought forms. I, I'm assuming you have a lot of insight about the nature of thoughts. Well, I can tell you that I'm still battling with that, even though um, I spend so much time uh, paying attention to that and, and performing. And obviously, when I'm on stage like you, I'm trying to be 100% present and it's kind of like interesting with juggling because there's so much happening when i juggle just when i juggle along but alone but if i'm on stage then now there's the music that i have to be following to be on cue with the music and there's the light that is changing and blinking and creating a different perspective and then there's the stage where i need to be conscious where i am on stage and then there's the audience that i'm performing for that i need to be that i want to be listening to and hearing and and getting some uh, feedback from so I can be responsive. So there's there's so many layers that there's really not really a chance for me to be in a distracting thought or if I am, I'm going to drop the ball for sure. So I have to be very present. And those moments are great, but there's the peak of the day. And in a way, in order to do like a five minute peak where I'm completely present performing something highly technical, and connect with my audience i need to the whole day to be a preparation for that so the whole day is at the service of those five minutes and that drains so much energy that i think like to me it's a tall order to um live my life to be present at every and all time i feel that you know if there's a peak there's going to be a valley and you're going to have to relax. And so I learned to also be more like gentle with myself and uh, let myself be distracted if I need to be. Let my How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you relax? Well, that's the challenge is that at one point, uh, relaxing could ha could be getting addicted to uh, smoking pot, for example, and then that's too much. <laughs> I've been you know? there, been there, done that. <laughs> exactly. And so I've done the same thing. And, and at one point, I'm realizing, oh, this is not uh, becoming something that fulfills me. It's an escape. And so, right. okay, stop this and recenter. Um, hey, man, I got to cut you off. I'm so sorry. I could talk to you oh, for man. hours, dude. But we're that at the awesome. last minute and i want to make sure you tell everyone where to find you oh yeah um actually uh my name google my name and uh see what comes up and my uh, juggling school is uh, gravity juggling arts and i love teaching juggling. man Rabat. it was so cool to to spend that time with you i loved it 
Thank you, Joseph. Me too, brother. He chose to work with a unique type of object, a liquid silicone-filled juggling ball, which allows him to practice a dancing type of contact. There was a joke in there somewhere that I never got a chance to tell. (laughs) (laughs) I've been there too, bro. (laughs) Cyril, it was an honor, man, and we got to do it again sometime. Cyril Rabat, everybody. Last name is spelled R-A-B-B-A-T-H. Cyril, C-Y-R-I-L. Cyril, I'll see you again soon, I hope, man. And keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Keep listening, everybody. We'll be right back with more on TNT.